He rides into Jerusalem. Uh, What a powerful gospel. We get to hear that every year on Palm Sunday. He rides into Jerusalem. There are 30,000 people, so the theologians believe. There are 30,000 people screaming his name, praising him. And the familiar refrain upon their lips was this one. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hosanna to the Son of David. Those are the words on their lips. They have one thing in mind. This man with the power that he has exhibited, he has come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. If he was coming for war, he'd be riding in on a horse. He's riding in on a donkey. Because that which he will accomplish will be that which the peaceful one brings. When anyone of any position of authority rides in on a donkey in those days, in that culture, it was, I have come for peace. In their minds, he had a task to do. With the power he had, he would set up a kingdom on this earth. And this was the week that he would accomplish that task. There are a million, two million people in Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of the Passover. 30,000 are gathered around him because of two miracles that he has done. And the two miracles that he has done have set the stage for that which they believe will be accomplished. He will set up an earthly kingdom and the virus of that day, the Romans, they will be destroyed. The Romans have ruined the economy of the Jews. They have desecrated their temples. They have destroyed their health. They have brought havoc upon this people of God. And this Jesus has come. And the virus, the enemy, will be destroyed and removed. And this kingdom will be set up forever, even as Isaiah had prophesied. There were two miracles Jesus had done that had caused such excitement in the city. One had been done a year earlier. That miracle involved 10,000 people. And that miracle was of such expansive power that one year later the people are still talking about it. And I'm sure they were saying, I was there, I was there, I was there, I was there when that happened. So many people said they were there, it would seem like maybe a 100,000 had been on the hillside. That miracle on that particular day affecting 10,000. His other miracles, blind Bartimaeus, one person is healed. Maybe 10 or 15 people see what's going on. He changes the water into wine at the wedding there in Cana of Galilee. There may be 50 or 70 people at the reception. Maybe a handful of them realize that he had done this miracle, changing water into wine. The crippled man, one person. The demon-possessed woman, one person. The demon-possessed boy, one person. The man who had been blind from birth spits on mud, puts it on the man's eyes. He sees one person. These miracles were done out of compassion. They were also done for the reason described in John 20, verse 30 and 31. 
Jesus did many more miracles not recorded, but these 35 are recorded that you might believe that Christ is the Son of God and by believing have life in his name. This miracle, 10,000 people. Our Lord had said often enough in his ministry that his kingdom was not of this earth. When he's riding into Jerusalem and he sees all the people and they're praising his name, he's thinking to himself, my kingdom is not of this earth. When he feeds 10,000 people, he's thinking, my kingdom is not of this earth. The Apostle Paul catches the echoes of Jesus' words because 40 years later he writes in the letter to the church at Corinth, Do not fix your eyes on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. Perhaps you and I in these last two or three weeks have begun to appreciate the fact that that which we fix our eyes on are not all that stable. You fix your eyes on your health, it can change in a moment. You fix your eyes on your bank account and your investments, it can change in a moment. You fix your eyes on your job or your occupation, it can change in a moment. That's what Jesus was always trying to tell us. Don't fix your eyes on things that aren't stable. Fix your eyes on the things that aren't seen. Hebrews 11. Faith is being certain of the things we hope for. It is being sure of the things we do not see. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5 You are kept by the power of God through your faith unto salvation. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.8 Though we have not seen him, we believe in him. Though we do not see him now, yet we trust him and are filled with unspeakable joy. 10,000 people. What shall Jesus do with them? They are hungry. They've been with him all day long. What shall he do with them? He shall feed them. He asked his disciples to take care of it. They said, Jesus, we don't have enough money. It'd be eight months worth of wages to feed all this people, and we have no place to go. Jesus then lifts up his hands to heaven the boy with five loaves and two fish brought to him by Andrew. He lifts his hands up to heaven. He gives thanks to God. And then the people are fed. 10,000. And when this miracle occurs, the disciples are filled with an awe and an excitement that they've never felt before. They've been waiting two years for Jesus' power to explode. Maybe they've been talking amongst themselves. Why did he waste his time healing one blind man? Why did he waste his time casting out a demon out of that person? Why doesn't he let his power explode? And they mention that to him on more than one occasion. Now he has done this thing. The Clark Kent clothes are off. The Superman costume is put on. This is what we signed up for, Jesus. This is what we've been encouraging you to do. 
And we don't know why at this moment you've decided to do it. But now everyone knows what you have within you. How excited they were. 20 years, 50 years, 100 years after this earthly kingdom was set up, the disciples would say to their children and their grandchildren, and the story would be passed on, when they were asked, when was this kingdom established? The disciples would say it was there on the mountainside when he fed 10,000 people. Not only are the disciples excited, but 10,000 people understanding the miracle that has occurred, they are filled with a zealous excitement They were part of this miracle. It's a miracle so powerful that except for the resurrection of Jesus, it is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. The people, John chapter 6, verse 15, the people wanted to make Jesus their king by force. It's a very scary verse in Scripture. The people on that mountainside wanted to make him their king by force. How does Jesus respond? He shivers because he knows there is someone on the mountainside. And that someone is Satan. He smells him. He feels his breath. He can Feel his touch upon the people, the disciples, upon Jesus himself. He knows Satan is there. Two years earlier, before he began his ministry, Bible says he was led into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. And one of Satan's temptations was, Jesus, let's see what power you have. Why don't you turn those stones into bread? You haven't eaten for 40 days. Why don't you turn those stones into bread? And Jesus said, I'm not going to do that because man does not live by bread alone. On this mountainside, two years later, Jesus has done this thing. He didn't turn stone into bread, but he took five loaves and two fish, and he made enough bread to feed 10,000 people. And there were 12 baskets of leftovers collected after everyone had eaten. Satan is rejoicing. Because now Jesus has done a miracle which will prompt him to become this earthly king. Jesus feels his presence. What does he do? He immediately, the Bible says, John chapter 6, he immediately forced the disciples to leave the mountainside and get into the boats, go to the other side of the lake. They wanted to celebrate this incredible event. They're giving high fives all over the place. They're already planning the party. But Jesus immediately forces them to get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake. What does he do with the people? He immediately disperses them. 
Disciples are gone. They're in the boats. The people are gone. They're dispersed. He is left with Satan. Hebrews 2.17. It says, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in all ways, in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And then it says, since Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help us when we are tempted. Now it's Satan on the hillside with Jesus. And Jesus says to him in so many words, as he has said all along, Get behind me, Satan. When Peter says we want an earthly kingdom, don't want you talking about the cross, Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. There in the wilderness, when he starts his ministry, after the three temptations have come, he said, Get behind me, Satan. When he's ready to go to the cross in Jerusalem, he climbs the Mount of Transfiguration. And Satan is saying to him, don't do this, man. Do it some other way. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration says, help me, God. I'm suffering in the midst of this temptation. And what does God do? He sends Moses and Elijah. You know the story. Moses and Elijah, they've been dead 1,500 years. And God sends them and they talk with Jesus, getting his strength back, putting him on the right focus. And then God says... This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus suffered when he was tempted. Palm Sunday, start of Holy Week. Monday, Thursday comes. Good Friday comes. Dying on that cross, sweating drops of blood. Father, there's some other way to save mankind from their sins Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's take the cross out of the equation. Let's come up with a better plan. Satan is almost one. And then Jesus drives a nail into Satan's heart. Not my will, but thine be done. On this mountainside, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus goes up into the mountain, further up the hillside, completely by himself. And he prays to God. Right after a miracle of feeding 10,000, he prays to God. Remember last week, the sermon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith does not fail. And when your faith has returned to you, go and strengthen your brothers. Guess who's being uh, sifted like wheat? Jesus. Guess who's praying uh, that his faith does not fail? Jesus is praying that for himself. And his Father in heaven is Joining that prayer. And guess who is praying when my strength returns to me, when my faith returns to me? May I continue the mission you assigned to me from the beginning of time 
Revelation 13, 8. He prays. He's praying three things. Listen carefully. Number one, he's thanking God. He's thanking God. Before he does a miracle, it says in the Gospels, he gives thanks to God. He knows that God is going to bless five loaves and two fish, and 10,000 are going to be fed. He thanks God before the miracle, but he thanks God after the miracle is done. Who does that? (laughs) You might pray to God and say, God, give me a 30 on the ACT test. I want to get into this college. Uh, God, help me have a good senior year playing football because I want a scholarship from the U of I. God, help this third interview I've had with this guy. Help it come true because I really, really need this job. God, this is the third time we've done the pregnancy thing. We have no money left. May one of those eggs be fertilized. We pray to God asking a blessing. Two billion of us are praying to God to lift the virus. But when uh, the blessing has come, do you remember to pray? My dear mother, we would always pray the Lutheran chants. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. But my dear mother, even when cancer came and, and so much had failed, my mother was the one who would say to us after the meal, you can't get up, we still have to pray. And then my mother would pray, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good. Thank you, Mama. We would pray before the meal, but my mom was the only one of the seven of us who would remember to give thanks to God after the meal was done. I told you about the girl of El Salvador last week. She wakes up in the morning and she prays, Thank you, God, that I woke up alive. My goodness gracious, for the first time, I understand what that prayer means. Because when I wake up in the morning, I say, Thank you, God, that I am not sick this morning, that Connie isn't sick, that my family isn't sick, and my grandchildren aren't sick. Thank you, God, that I woke up alive today, symptom-free. Back in 1980, I'm 17 years of age, I saw something on television I'll never forget. 444 days had gone by. The hostages in Iran, 444 days had gone by. And they were set free. And I'll never forget the one interview that was done by one of the hostages. He said this. He said, every single day when I woke up, I said, Psalm 27, verse 13. I am confident of this. I will behold the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait upon the Lord. Be of strong hearts. Wait upon the Lord. I'd forgotten that for a long time, but in these days, I remember that. And I pray the same prayer. I am confident of this. The virus will go. I am confident of this. Things shall be restored. I will be of strong heart and I will wait upon the Lord. And when that time comes, will you give him thanks? When the virus is lifted, 
Will you pray as earnestly in the weeks that follow as you did in the weeks preceding? When you got to 30 on the ACT test, did you pray as fervently when you got that score as you did for weeks waiting to take the test? When you got the job, did you pray as fervently after you got the job as you did for weeks and months before the job came? Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus actually thanked God for the miracle happening. Ten lepers are cleansed of the virus called leprosy. How many came back to thank God when the virus called leprosy, which was incurable, how many come back to thank him? One person. I pray to our Heavenly Father that when uh, this virus is gone, that the lessons he intended us to learn remain for decades, and they're passed on to our children and our grandchildren. And one of the greatest lessons is, we came and prayed to God like we've never done before. 1,500, 1,600, 1,700, 1,800 people watching a service in the course of 24 hours in this place alone. The lesson learned, I pray to God, because the virus is invisible and he's invisible, and I know the one is real because it's causing such havoc, and I know the other is real because he created this universe, sent his son to die on that cross. When this is done... The one lesson I pray God's people on this earth never forget. He's real. The invisible one is real. And he has brought his healing. And the strength of prayer and our faith in him. I pray that is a thousand times stronger afterwards than it was before. What else was he praying for there? He's praying for himself. Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I'm glad he prayed that. I don't know if I can do this. Because that shows he was suffering. And when you go through a divorce and you say, I don't know if I can do this, he knows the suffering. And when you find out that grandpa has dementia, you say, I don't know if I can do this. And when your house is foreclosed on, you say, I don't know if I can do this. And if you're one of the 32% that have been furloughed because of this virus, or you lost your job, you say, I don't know if I can do this. Jesus was joining with you. Father in heaven, I don't know if I can do this. But not my will, thine be done. I don't know if I can survive this divorce, but if you're with me, I can. I don't know if I can survive my house being foreclosed on, but if you're with me, I can. I don't know if I can survive my 21-year-old being addicted to cocaine and all that that's caused, the havoc that's caused, the pain it's caused. But if you're with me, I can. 
I don't know if I can survive the next month or two months of this virus. But if you're with me, I can. And that's what Jesus said on the mountainside. I don't know if I can do this. 10,000 people want me to be their king. My disciples want me to be their king. I'm one voice out of all of those people who realize that your will is a kingdom that can't be seen. This kingdom called heaven. I don't know if I can do this, Heavenly Father, but if you're with me, I can. And he goes to the cross. And you can. Whatever storm is going on in your life, he said, John 16, 33, there will be storms, but take heart, I'm with you in the storm. Closing word. There was a third reason for his prayer. <laughs> it was for his disciples. Because they had almost gotten caught up in something that it would, would have been too large for them to handle. He's praying for the disciples. Satan is trying to sift them. I pray that their faith not fail them. I've just disappointed them terribly. I am not going to set up the earthly kingdom. And Simon, Peter, James, and John are not going to have the positions of power that they want. I've just really disappointed them. They might leave me now. But I pray that you be with them. And in the midst of that prayer, God taps on Jesus' shoulder and says, Those disciples that you're praying for, they're down there on the lake. A great storm has come up. You better get down there. And Jesus quickly ends his prayer, and they are in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. At 7 p.m., it's the greatest moment they've ever had. 10,000 fed, earthly king ready to roll. It is 3 a.m. in the morning. It is eight hours later, and it's the worst moment ever in their life. They're about to die. Jesus comes walking on the water, and he says to them, You can see the storm. It has great power. But I'm walking on the storm. <laughs> I have greater power. It is I. Do not be afraid. Palm Sunday. Holy Week, his death for our salvation. And while you and I live on this earth, hand in hand with him, he says, I want you to have abundant life, not destroyed by fear or worry or shame or guilt. I want you to have abundant life because when you pray to me, I walk on the storm. And when I have delivered this planet from this virus, may they do what my son did on the mountainside. May they spend many weeks and months in prayer of thanksgiving. And prayers that lessons learned now might be kept for generations to come. God is with you. 
Do not be afraid. In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, may we never lose our focus on you. Our rock, our salvation, our Prince of Peace, our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father. There is no storm that can sweep away my faith because it is instilled in me by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And when that faith is instilled in me, then nothing will be able to separate this lamb from his shepherd. Keep us close to you, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen.